This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Do you like sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and comic books? Then you've come to the right place for your weekly dose of anything and everything geek. So strap in and let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. Hello and welcome everybody to the Science Fictionary Podcast, the podcast brought to you by thesciencefictionary.com where we discuss all things in the world of sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and superheroes in the world of pop culture. I am Daniel, and join me tonight are Andrew. What's going on? And David. Hello. And maybe a little later, we'll get Marisha. Yep, she'll be here. Uh, yeah, for right now, though, just the three of us, so that's cool. Guys night out, right? Uh, uh-huh. No, we, we got a few things to discuss, sort of. First thing I really want to talk about, especially with you two being the gamers you are, you do know Amazon's working on a Fallout series. And, yeah. And I'm not as big a gamer as y'all are, but what does excite me about this is I am a fan of Westworld. So this show's going to be run by Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, which excites me. So, mm-hmm. uh, but but David especially, I know you've played every version of Fallout. Yeah. Uh, Right. So did you did you get a chance to read this article? What do you think about this show? Yeah, um, it sounds really awesome. Uh, there there have been talks of a Fallout series for years, and I've never liked any of the ideas that were thrown out until now. And they're still not like an idea. Like nobody knows really what's going on. But you have the creators of a show like Westworld behind it, and that instantly gives me a lot more confidence in something like this than, than some of the previous projects. That's a perfect fit. I haven't seen a lot of Westworld but from what I've seen. I mean, that's a perfect fit for the for the series, I think. Um, Fallout can be a little wacky, a little goofy sometimes, but I, I kind of don't want to see that. I, I'd rather see, rather see it be a more kind of serious, interesting sci-fi tone like I feel Westworld kind of is. So um, I'm really, really happy with that. And there have been all sorts of of Fallout pitches for series, and I've read a few of them, and they've all sounded pretty awful. So it, it makes me kind of worried about what, where a series like this could go. It also makes me worried, just because I'm, I'm a little worried about it, because Fallout, the Fallout franchise in general for the past few years have, has kind of been uh, pretty crap. To be honest, uh, they, they've had a lot of misfires, and I know that, that that's all in the gaming world, but it's just right now, just it doesn't have a whole lot of momentum. I know it's, it doesn't seem related, but in my head, that's what I'm feeling about it, is it's just it's lost a lot of momentum just because of all the all that crap, so hopefully this is something that will happen for the franchise that'll, that'll light a fire in it again and do, be something really great. As long as, um, uh, I don't know how, you know, I know that, like, obviously Bethesda is not making the, the the show they make games but they do own the rights so i have no idea how much creative control they would have over it at all if any say in it at all uh, i'm sure it's all just depends on whatever deal was signed or whatever's done but they do have the right to the franchise so as long as um you know what as long as you keep them out of it uh, i think it might be pretty good 
I am really excited. Well, and that's sort of what I think I envision with this is I doubt we get a story that's directly based on any one game. I think it'll, I think it's just going to be the concept. We'll get a we'll get a in that world. Yeah, and we'll get a guy wake up in one of the vaults and yeah. discover the world, discover what the world's become, and try to survive and make yeah. his way through it. Which is basically the plot to the basic plot to every game, right? Yeah, so, basically, it's like you are it's in some way, shape, or form. You're new to the world. Go figure it out. And so you're right, we'll probably see that from the perspective of a guy. And that, that's what's kind of exciting is they can really do anything. There, there are so many different ways to approach um, this game. Uh, you can do somebody from, if they've done this in a game before, you can do somebody from the pre-war, pre-war which I'd love to see some of. I'd love to see some of the pre-bomb world of fallout because that's a really interesting world and that's really cool in itself and that would be great for a tv show so maybe see some of that and you could do it where it's a guy from there and he's frozen cryogenically and he wakes up after the bombs and then you experience that or it can be a courier like in new vegas or somebody from the vaults it it can be anything and 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 I, I, my, there's so many ideas running on my head now for what it could be. Because like you said, I've played every Fallout game. I'm a huge fan. I love it so much. Fallout New Vegas is my favorite game. Uh, I, I've played it countless times. So there's so many different... And the other thing, adapting an RPG game is, is pretty difficult because everybody's experience is so different when playing the game that there isn't one thing to base it off of it's just right. you have to come up with the story yourself and set it in this really cool world but on, on one hand that that sort of makes your job easier and that you're not confined to any one mm-hmm. story it, or you're not yeah. you know you you have you basically have this big sandbox and you get to tell a character's story in that world so in yeah. that way it's kind of like the playing Lord. the game yourself in that you create your own experience and mm-hmm. now this writer directing team have the option to do that and, and create their own their own story in that world. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that makes it easier or harder. I mean, video game adaptations don't fare well. <clears throat> but when you're you talking about playing not. in a sandbox where you get to create something where you're just playing with the the set pieces. The world. Right. Then, then there's not as much, like, you, there's not as much that you absolutely have to get right about this character because you're probably creating a new character. Yeah, there's no like character to get right. It's kind of like you know they're working on a Halo series. Showtime is doing a Halo series, and mm-hmm. they're doing Master Chief. That presents a lot of problems because you've got to get Master Chief right. Yeah. Well, yeah. But is there really a lot of character development to Master Chief in the games? I mean, well, I mean, there are a number of games that that dig pretty deep into Master Chief's story, as well as a whole series of novels. I hadn't thought about the novels. 
now they're kind of creating a, a little bit of a new story. They're adding new new characters, new new Spartans, and and so that's going to be interesting to see how they do it. But that's Amblin Entertainment. Right, and that uh, series is getting ready to start production again pretty soon, right? Yeah, there was a deal where a lot of these countries where things have been filming, like like where uh, Dune was filming, where they had locked down and they weren't allowing people to travel into those countries because of the virus. And they've signed waivers, those countries have signed waivers to allow those film crews to come back in. Right. So I know Dune and Halo are both set to to uh, Halo to really kick off filming and Dune to go in and Dune was doing a few reshoots. No, and and that and we kind of expect some of that to happen. Well, you're I mean, gonna. I mean, that's just reshoots are time. part of the process now. Yeah. Well, I was talking really about the reopening and allowing them to continue production. This yeah. is around the time I was. Uh, it seems like more and more stuff starting to. Well, of course, some of the some, some places are starting to backtrack too. Right. There's well, and this wasn't things. a. They made no changes to their policies about people coming in. That was specifically waiver signed for this for these crews. But talking about fallout for a minute, and because you mentioned Halo with it too, uh, I think you're making a good point. That the great the what I really expect to happen, like I started off saying, is. There's no set plot or really well-developed character that they have to get right that's going to cause them a problem. All we really have to do is start with a fresh character and just put him in the scenario that the games are about, right? So right, and the only the only thing there aren't any there aren't like any icon. Well, there are plenty of iconic characters, but none that you have to put in the show to get right. The only thing you have to get right <clears throat> is if you include certain factions and lore about the world. You know, if you include the Brotherhood of Steel, they better act like the Brotherhood of Steel. That's yes. that's kind of the only worry that I have is them messing with the lore too much, you know, and, and like that would that's my biggest fear. That would make me like not like the show. There's a there's a very I think there's a very good possibility that they'll call it a Fallout show. And we'll be able to watch it and probably have no idea that it has to do anything to do with Fallout except for, like, vaults, which I'd probably be okay with as long as it's a cool post-apocalyptic show because I love the post-apocalypse. And they're, I, 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 I've been trying to actually, like, recently was, like, trying to find a post-apocalyptic show to watch, but they're all zombie-based, and I'm sick of that. Yeah, zombies are, are zombies Let's have been real big, out. but it's kind of, kind of uh, played yeah. out. Right, and like I want to watch like a, like a. So now we're going back to the nuclear war. Right. Which can you name a nuclear war uh, post-apocalyptic show? Well, I mean, no, but there, through the '60s, '70s, and '80s, there were a lot of sci-fi movies yeah, I, that. Right, right, right. A lot. Of, I'm in like a show right now been, that I've, you can watch if you're interested. No, right. not right now. But but that's the point I'm making is this mm -hmm. stuff is is cyclic, right? It's right. We've we've we ran through nuclear war. We ran through overpopulation. We moved into you know zombies is kind of what we've been into now, and now it's coming back around to and you know and and that's fine. I do think it's an interesting premise to the Fallout game. Yeah, there, there's 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 a really cool thing that I think excites me the most about the show 
and that's um, the element of the vaults. That's what makes it really unique because all the vo- most of the vaults had experiments going on that directly affect what the afterworld is like in the in the post-apocalypse. Plus, there's all the pre-war stuff with all the different technology and the way that affects how things are now. So there's so many cool possibilities and so many different sci-fi ideas to explore. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great uh, addition to like the plethora of science fiction shows. And it has a chance to really stand out. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it's got a chance to stand out just because of what it is. I mean, there's not a lot of... Nobody's when you're talking about the post-apocalyptic stuff. Nobody's really done a lot of Adam Punk TV stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, Adam Adam Punk is stuff that we mostly see in things like comic books. Yeah, comic books and, and video games. To be honest, there are a ton of post-apocalyptic video games all trying to ride that Fallout wave, and that's what I was saying. Like, I want to see something like that in a TV show. I'm I'm constantly looking for something like that to fill that that void because I love the Fallout universe and the ideas so much and adam punk's a great word for it yeah um adam punk and, and I, I think some some places call it uh ray gun gothic i like that too but no it, it, it is always an interesting world that's created when you examine that and i think it's i think the time's ripe to kind of come back around to that kind of stuff and uh i'm kind of interested in that show i would like to watch it i hope it is a kick-ass sci-fi action tv show i'm excited for that one not as much as i i'm not as excited for the halo show as i am for the fallout if i had to pick between the two i think i'm much more interested in fallout to be honest my my big hope for the halo show is the fact that amblin is doing it and i hope that steven spielberg can't help but get a little hands-on with it yeah because he I, I just loves really, loves some science fiction you does. know this was a this was a, a supposedly based on a concept he pitched like seven or eight years ago really steven spielberg pitched a halo concept i didn't know there this. were a whole lot of people pitched halo concepts i did not realize back. steven spielberg i don't know I, i'm the halo one is one of those that's i'm excited about it but i don't know i just kind of wonder like it, how much there's not a lot of info about it right now and all of these companies that are are jumping on board here with doing these big premium TV shows that we're doing now. And I don't know exactly, you know, Amazon, I've got confidence that Amazon can do it because they've done some big things that they've right. come off. Well, I've got confidence that Netflix can do it Netflix or, can do or it. Hulu yeah. or even Hulu can do it. Especially now that Hulu's Disney, yeah. you know, but when you go, well, Showtime's doing the Halo series, I go, well, I mean, I know they've done. <laughs> well, well, I will say this about Showtime though. <laughs> That is a company that has been around since premium cable has existed. True. As far as whether or not they've done anything scripted television-wise that they've produced themselves, that's been a huge hit. You know, they nobody's done Game of Thrones but HBO. Right. Let's just be honest, okay? It doesn't mean the other companies aren't able to do it. It doesn't mean they don't have the capital... To pull it off, all they have to do is bring in the right talent and purchase the right properties. So I have confidence that a company like that can pull it off also, to be honest with you. I, I have I have faith in companies like that. If they, It's it's about capturing lightning in the bottle. 
and, and the odds are, I mean, we're talking about all these shows that are getting created of all these fantastic works of science fiction, and, and odds are some of them are going to be going to be bad. Oh, hey, Marisha. Hey, how's it going? Sorry, y'all. It's uh, it's been a she fun cra- evening. She crashed, her, she crashed our boys' night out. I did, yeah. I got tired of yelling at people from medical supply companies about why they can't get my grandfather oxygen in spite of the fact they were supposed to have done it three days ago. Hooray. So what do you think about the Fallout show? The Fallout show. Don't know anything about the Fallout show. What you think about uh, Fallout Halo TV series is. Okay. Oh, it's Halo. Oh, oh no. Fall, Fallout is one and Halo oh, is another. They're doing both. Oh, they're doing both. They're doing, yeah. Cool. Yeah, which Fallout game is your favorite? Yeah. Fallout's a game? <laughs> I told you guys, video games is not my thing. You want to talk about uh, dead classical composers, and I can do that all day, but uh, video games, not so much. Marisha, I was telling you, I've already told you once, you need your own podcast to discuss Jane Austen and the merits of Mozart versus Bach. <laughs> it's probably true. Matter of fact, matter of fact I, might, I might guest on your podcast. We'll call it Marisha's Classical Hour. <laughs> Perfect, because Marisha needs something else. And to when do. Daniel comes on, y'all can do a show titled Mozart versus Spock. Ah, <laughs> who's got more logic? Spock. Spock would not have liked Mozart. It's Mozart was not a log- logical person. <laughs> he wrote logical music, but he was not a logical person. Data liked classical music. Data. That's a whole podcast. Whole other podcast. Whole other podcast. Whole other podcast. <laughs> anyway, so. <laughs> Marisha completely derailed us. Sorry. We were discussing Halo and Fallout, right? And the merits of Showtime being able to pull off a show. Netflix can do it. Hulu can do it. Why am I recapping everything we just said like five minutes ago? Yeah. Somebody else keep talking. I was going to say, we could we can move on from yeah. this topic if, if we want, or if, if Andrew has more to say about now, it. I don't really have anything else to say about it. I mean, Fallout is mm-hmm. one that I'm, I'm aware of. I see all the trailers, and it's not one I've actually played. I think you'd really enjoy uh, a Fallout game. I, I highly suggest Fallout New Vegas. It's a great yeah. game. I'll check it out. I didn't I, realize that, that Fallout had been around as long as it uh, has. Yeah, uh, man. I don't play either as Crazy much as... I don't, I don't play Fallout as much as David plays it, and I don't play Halo as much as you do. But between the two, I, I enjoy Fallout a little more. But I am also... I'm not going to lie, I enjoy Fallout a lot more. But I enjoy more of a immersive RPG. kind of experience. Yeah, RPG experience more than I do... Uh, more of a first-person shooter that yeah. Halo is. So that's just personal preferences. But I do think Halo, I, I was I watched a lore video the other day because we've been talking a little bit about it, and I didn't know much about the lore. And Halo surprisingly has an extremely interesting history. Yep. Like, it's some really cool stuff that that I haven't seen much anywhere else um, that, I, that I actually really enjoy and kind of got me interested in the world and i probably will replay those games uh just because i got so interested in what i was listening to so i I, i'm excited about a halo show also and uh i think it's great uh but it does kind of worry me also because there have been so many great video game adaptations lately that you know the the, it's got to fall through eventually Uh, you know it's one of those things you kind of hope eventually somebody cracks the code 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's like comic book movies. I mean, people have been making comic book movies for a long time. They hadn't always been very good. Yeah. But but recently, like, we had um, the Sonic movie, which was a huge success. You right. had Detective Pikachu, huge success video game movie. You had, um, I feel like there was something else. Witcher, I mean, I know it's based off of books, but it was a game series, something success feel like there was something else that was a video game adaptation but there have been mostly really bad assassin's creed that assassin's creed movie is the worst experience i've ever had in the theater <laughs> by far oh i saw and super mario actually, brothers in the theater i actually did not see assassin's creed in the theater mostly based on david's review i, I <laughs> yeah. didn't bother after that it's so bad no i still say the best the best video game adaptation is the netflix castlevania tv series Oh, yeah. Well, that's another, like, recently successful one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. No, other than that, I, I saw a report today, too, something else I want to talk to y'all about, was Sam Neill says he and Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum are all coming back for Jurassic World Dominion. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think we kind of knew, have known for a little while that they were all back, but I think what we found out today was that it's not just like a show up for a, you know, kind of a glorified cameo. It's their... Sam says they're in it for the whole movie. Yeah. I love using Jeff Goldblum and I'll I'll watch him do anything, so that's awesome. Well, the the only thing concerning me about that is that in the new Jurassic World franchise, Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt have kind of carried it. Right. Um, so if we're going to have the three original leads so involved in Dominion, what does that do to that that dynamic? That's the only thing kind of concerns me. Is where I you mean, make all that fit. maybe, but like how big of a draw is Sam Neill now? I mean, he's a great actor. To Jurassic World, to Jurassic Park fans. He's going to be big, but I mean, let's be honest. Like Chris Pratt's one of the biggest names on the planet right now. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not going to outshine Chris Pratt. No, well, no, and that's not even what I'm saying. I mean, narrative-wise. Yep. Does it become Star Wars Episode Eight? where all of a sudden you have a odd- fight between the originals, you know, screen for screen time? Maybe. But uh-huh. maybe it was the smart thing to build something new before they brought people back. I think that's actually, yeah, I think that's true. That's a good point. It'd be more evenly shared. It'll be the Star Trek generation. Because we don't of, want because right. Because we don't want no, them I, to come back and us to forget about the story we're telling with the new characters. But right. we also don't want to just have them there for no particular reason other than right. to be there. Yeah. And I get all and I get all that too. So the assumption that people originally had that it was going to be smaller roles was one thing. But if this report as this report tells us, they're going to be in it for the whole movie. How large a role are they all going to play, and how do you balance that? I don't I guess think five people is really too many. I mean, if you think about the first Jurassic... Seven. General rule of thumb is no more than seven, and I've been listening to a lot of Salty Nerd, by the way. Matthew Kadish has gotten in my head. Uh-huh. <laughs> seven. As Kadish says, the general rule is seven, uh-huh. because... The audience starts to lose track, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. but even when you have seven, you still have to battle shared screen time. I don't think five to me, especially, I guess, if they're all kind of on screen at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
it could it could be too much, but hopefully it won't be. I'm really excited about them coming back because I'm excited to see now how they tie this back into the origins. Which, I mean, it's always been connected. They have, right from the first movie, right from the start, they have acknowledged that it's in the same world. Right, but they've only acknowledged they'd, Jurassic they'd Park. that original trilogy more than once, so... Yeah, but I mean, as far as acknowledging the story, I mean, haven't they really only acknowledged the story of the first movie and kind of ignored the second two? Well, they have, it's not so much acknowledging the story of the first movie and the second two as it is all you've done, period, is acknowledge that it went badly. Park existed and then it went badly. Yeah. And from, the, I mean, we haven't actually examined any details from the first three movies, yeah. period, anyway. But we've acknowledged the fact that this is set in the same world, that that stuff did happen. Um, so, right, but it's it's we get to the third. Well, that third original movie is kind of it's on a different island, and it's at the end yeah. you end with we see you know we begin to see flying uh, dinosaurs and things with the potential to leave the island, and that's what we're left with is the whole idea of life finds a way that these things are going to escape this island and, mm-hmm. you know. Right, and that's where Dominion is going. Right. So the first Jurassic Park movie really was brilliant. I mean, that oh, was is. like. Absolutely. We didn't actually, Andrew, you might have mentioned this. We didn't get to see the first Star Wars in theaters, right? Right. So Jurassic Park was the first movie we saw in theaters as kids where you went, oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, I talked about that some in the uh, the pillars episode. Right, and you were and you were absolutely correct because that was my same reaction uh, first time seeing that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I am a fan of the Jurassic Park movies, and I have liked these Jurassic World movies, and I'm excited for Dominion. And I think you're right about that. Nobody's going to outshine Chris Pratt in these movies. Um, it is exciting to get those three back. I just, I'm, I'm scared of where they're going to fit in the story, I guess. And maybe I shouldn't be, I should have a little more faith. So, but I'll be, I'll be glad to see them back though. The, uh, the next thing we want to talk about was we've been doing our weekly Star Trek reviews and everybody knows this at this point, I recap it every week. We started with the original series movies Moved into the Next Generation TV show, and last week we actually finished up the Next Generation movies with Nemesis, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which was an interesting one to discuss, to say the least. Uh-huh. Uh, so now what we're going to do is review the Kelvin timeline. We're going to start today with 2009's Star Trek, and Marisha is over there getting giddy. Marisha loves, loves this movie. <laughs> okay, so... Um, that's where we're at. This was the first J.J. Abrams directed uh, Star Trek movie, sort of a soft reboot, really an alternate timeline film showing us a younger version of Kirk and Spock and McCoy, Uhura, Chekhov, Sulu, the whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when this movie came out, how excited I was for it. And before I go any deeper into it, I'm going to let Marisha tell us what she thinks of this movie why we should all 
love it. Why you should all love it. Well, okay, so yeah. I was I was, I was talking about it on the internet because we watched it a couple of weeks ago, and I was just gushing about how much I loved it. Several people felt it necessary to come on there and tell me how wrong I was and how stupid it is and how, you know, anyway. But I am not wrong. I am right about this. This movie is awesome. Okay, so it's made seven years after the last Star Trek Next Generation movie, right? Because the last one was made in, in, in 2002, right? Yeah. And it's so, I mean, this movie is just so beautiful. It is the the shot. I mean, it's worth watching that movie just to see that first shot of the Enterprise the first time you see it. I mean, it's just that cool. And I I I really enjoy um, Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto specifically as their reinterpretations of the original characters. I mean, by this point, it had been what fifty years. Since since the original Star Trek series, so it was really interesting to see young actors doing those iconic characters, and Zachary Quinto just killed it. I just felt like he did such a good job, you know, with that, you know, he the, just the this the logic and the you know it was it was fun watching him interact with Leonard Nimoy. I think that and and the fact that Leonard Nimoy was in it is, I mean, I guess you could kind of write it off as just a nostalgia thing, but they did it so well. And he was just so, it was like, this is just the Spock you remember from, from the original series. And, you know, we kind of have, we've seen him back. We've seen him in the movies and he's just, he's exactly the same. And it would be remiss if we did not mention how spot on Carl Urban is as Leonard McCoy. Oh my gosh. That's the one, that's the one that always gets me too. I agree with you. Green blooded hobgoblin, you know? I mean, just so <laughs> grouchy and perfect. So. Ex wife took the whole damn planet. It took the, the whole damn planet in the divorce. Got nothing left but my bones. Yes. Oh. Which is a. First of all, it's a great line. It is. Like, they. They did actually get the those characters, especially McCoy. They really did get McCoy. Um, there are some things I have issue with as far as some of the characterizations, but for the most part, I don't have a lot of problems. Carl Urban as McCoy, especially, he's spot he's so on. funny. So, what did David think? That's what everybody really wants to know. I. I actually do remember like seeing this. I'm pretty sure I'm I'm sure I saw it in theaters probably to be honest, but I didn't really remember much about it and of course I have a whole new perspective of it coming out out of all the old movies and, and I didn't know what to expect at all or how I was going to feel. I knew that there were a lot of hardcore Trek fans that hate this movie. Mm-hmm. Um but I also knew that Marisha loved it and I knew that you guys all loved it. So I I didn't know what to think and, and I was very pleasantly surprised. I kind of thought that I would like be like, oh, okay, but I actually really enjoyed it a lot, and and um, I will definitely be watching it again. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. I, I watched it all the way through. I, I just had a great time the the whole ride. I thought it was great. I love that it continued the Star Trek tradition of randomly surprising me with a fun cast that I didn't know was in it like in the beginning. Uh, when Chris Hemsworth was there, I was right. like, is that Chris Hemsworth? 
and I had to stop watching the movie to go look up and make sure that it was Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. And then Kristen Dunst showed up, and I was like, is that Kristen Dunst? And I had to go stop watching the movie and look it up to make sure that was Kristen Dunst. And then Tyler Perry showed up, and I was like, is that Tyler Perry? And you get the point. Yeah. Um, so I love that little tradition. Uh, that's great. Watching the, those original movies and the little bit of the original series that I did, I fell in love with the characters of James... Tiberius Kirk, of Bones McCoy, and of of Spock. So I was really, really worried that I was going to watch this and just kind of cringe at these performances of them trying way too hard. And, and I didn't at all. I loved Chris Pine as, as Kirk. I thought he hit the nail right on the head. Um, just the way that he said everything, his little mannerisms, ev- the tone in his voice... Like, it all was set perfectly to, yep, that's what Kirk would do. That's what Kirk would say. That's what Kirk would sound like. Um, that's the attitude Kirk would have. And I totally buy that this is just a younger, younger, a younger William Shatner, you know? Um, mm. Carl Urban is one of my favorite actors uh, before seeing this movie, and I just adored him in this role. I wish we would have saw more of him, but so I can't wait to watch the next two and, and see more of him all of his lines were delightful made me smile and, and i love that i love the friendship between him and kirk i thought it was great from the very beginning you see that relationship that you know and, and when you sort of think about it in in the idea of you know that these guys are going to grow old together and, and still be this grumpy <laughs> sitting at a campsite you know singing <laughs> row 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 your boat like uh-huh. it, it just works so well for me and, mm-hmm. and i i really enjoy that i really like this version of spot it is a it, it, it feels like a very different version of spot but i really yeah. enjoyed the interpretation i i actually really did and um i heard you go yeah so maybe you have different feelings but i Something about it worked for me. I liked him and Ahura together. Uh, I thought that was great. I, I, I liked that. <laughs> I thought she was excellent. I loved her. I, I, I really freaking Sulu and Chekhov were great. I thought they were great. I thought that Sulu pulling out a ninja sword was a little <laughs> over the top, but you know what? I went with it. And, okay, and but you really did, did you not there's see? For that, though. There's basis for that. Yeah. No, he did not. No, he did not, Marisha. We'll get to that in a second. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, it, so it was great. Um, Simon Pegg as Scotty is a gift to all mankind. <laughs> uh, that That is perfect casting. I love that. I, I, I love the way that even though things are different, I, I do love the explanation of the butterfly effect. Things mm-hmm. are different right now because of this butterfly effect that, effect that happened when, when this ship came back in time and crashed into the Kelvin and, and mm-hmm. caused this this ripple in, in, in the space-time continuum and, and makes things turn out differently. That's why Scotty ends up at a place like this, and that's why Kirk didn't join Starfleet, because he wasn't there with his dad. Like, I thought that all worked really well. And and I'm a guy who has always said, and I've said it before, like, for example, when we were talking about, like, DC rebooting or whatever, I'm the guy who's like, don't acknowledge the other universe. Don't talk about the other universe. Mm-hmm. Just make a movie and then say... Yeah, it's a movie. Like, you don't have to acknowledge the other universe or whatever. And I knew that this movie did that, so I was really worried. In fact, I was ready to come on this show tonight and have an argument with my dad about it. But but your dad's I, right, isn't but he? But I think it 
I actually liked it. I, I thought it was incorporated into the story very, very well, and it made sense, and it, and it started a, a really cool idea and set up this interesting world in, in contrast, and I think that worked really well. Like, and like I said, usually I would just be like, screw it, don't even mention it, but the way that it was all explained that this thing came back in time and it hit the Kelvin and this is why it came back in time and it's all part of one big thing. In, in reality, it's all one big storyline. This is an alternate timeline that broke off there, but it broke off because of something that did happen in the original timeline with the Spock that we were watching in those five or six movies and, and the two seasons of the show. Like that, that same Spock, that guy, was who, was who was in this movie, which I thought was great. And I loved it. Um, and it made for a really enjoyable, really cool ride. One big criticism that I'm just getting all the thoughts out now. One big criticism that I've seen thrown at this a lot is that it's not our thinking man, Star Trek, and it's too action-packed and too crazy, blah, blah, blah. But my reaction to that, especially when watching this, is this has just as much action as any of the other Star Trek movies had. It's just back in the day, they didn't have cool special effects, so it looked crappy. Right. It was the same amount of fight. This isn't more action-packed. James T. Kirk has been doing backflips off a dude's chest for years. <laughs> this ain't nothing new, you know? This is, they've been fighting like this for years. It's well, just back then, it just looked crappy. Well, I like it. That's like the point the I've always... That's the point I've made with these shows. I mean, the, the, Star War, the Star Trek movies always did action. Always. Always did space battles. Always did explosions. Always... Mm -hmm. They always did. It's just it didn't look as... Like it didn't CG, look like J.J. Abrams made it. <laughs> but let's be honest, right. heart, your hardcore Star Trek fans are somewhat the elitists of the science fiction community. Hey, 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 hey! <laughs> <laughs> now wait a minute. It, but see, here's where. See, last I time, last time bit. you argued with me about that particular statement, we immediately walked into a Star Trek panel at a convention <laughs> and watched a and bunch I of elitists to stand up and tell them all off. Yes, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> because they, that group of people. I'm made not. Me I'm mad. not staying all Star Trek fans. I'm a big Star Trek fan. You're a big Star Trek, and that obviously doesn't encompass all Star Trek fans. But there are a group of Star Trek fans that haven't liked anything since the original series. And they're missing the mark because the entire, the reason, the very reason I'm able to enjoy this is because they gave us the alternate timeline yep. mm -hmm. to separate it and realize it's two separate things and mm -hmm. enjoy it as two separate things. And the people Here's that made it were reason. smart enough to realize that they didn't need to retell these characters original story again because it was already done so well. Yeah. Right. Now I, I do have some issues, and you know I have issues. doesn't mean I don't like this movie. I appreciate the fact that we have our Spock coming into this timeline and being a part of this story mm -hmm. because our original Trek continuity still exists. Right. All the way from Enterprise all the way through Picard. That original still exists. Mm -hmm. And Romulus did blow up. Or the sun went nova in that world. And Picard mm -hmm. talks about it. It's a major plot point in Picard. Mm -hmm. So All this is... The story. Right. So what we're looking at in the Kelvin timeline in the J.J. Abrams movies is a basically a separate universe, an alternate timeline. 
a multiverse in Star Trek, as it as it were, which is already has precedent precedent with the mirror universe. Yeah, exactly. So it's, not, it's not like there wasn't precedent for this stuff in Star mm-hmm. Trek. Time so now travel. we get right. So now we get to see alternate versions of these original series characters based on what their lives would have been like if they had had these different experiences. And guess what? Star Trek fans are supposed to be smart enough to get it. Yeah. So the, 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 the type of fans Andrew's talking about actually make me mad mm-hmm. because it is still Star Trek. Okay. They make a point in a movie we have not reviewed yet. So I'm not going to try to spoil it of, making a lot of the same points that the original series used to make. They, they do it on purpose. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's not a military organization. It's an, expert, it's an organization of peacekeepers and explorers. And it is still about exploring our universe and exploring what it is that makes us human and all the things we always saw about with Star Trek. Does it do it as well as the original series The Next Generation? No, it doesn't. But again, I'm able in my head to separate as two separate things and still enjoy it. Well, I mean, I think the big thing that this this movie doesn't get credit for is, I mean, okay, so your your last two movies leading into this movie are not very good. They mm-hmm. were they were basically leftover episodes of Next Generation that were turned into movies. The Christmas well, is completely different, and it's 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 a bad movie for different the, reasons. But anyway, the the, the uh, recycled set pieces from from shows like Insurrection. I mean, they just recycled crap from Voyager to build their sets. Mm-hmm. There was no pride taken in the way any of it looked. Though the uniforms got lazy, and like and, I said, and this this show or this movie breathes new life into the visual aspect and the, of, the bridge is beautiful the, the bridge is beautiful the ship is beautiful the first time they show the ship there i mean i got chills the ship mm-hmm. is just so beautiful and that's something that star trek had quit paying attention to yeah. is is like treating the somewhat treating the ship like a member of the cast mm-hmm. and you know the the sounds were kind of reinvented a little bit for this. They brought Ben Burt in to do the sound design on this, mm-hmm. which right. if I mean David, if you don't know that name, Ben Burt created is responsible for the way science fiction sounds now. Really, he did the sound effects for the for Star Wars. George oh, Lucas okay. turned that man loose before they even started filming. <laughs> And said, these are sounds that I need to come up with. And he just totally recreated the way that science fiction sounded. That's right. awesome. That's cool. And I noticed that. It's something I actually did notice exactly what you're saying when we went, when I started watching this movie was I noticed how they weren't trying way too hard to be like, look at how great this looks. It just looked great mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying by saying that like it just yeah they, no it it's, it's, they didn't they have to said, they didn't have to tell you it looked great it, it just did yeah they didn't have to be like see see it was just it just looked great the enterprise looked amazing they it, it looked like the enterprise they didn't mm-hmm. ha- huh <laughs> now the marisha was saying something earlier about the way the movie looks 
and I know what she meant, but I kept wanting to mention lens flares. It uh, is yeah. a J.J. Abrams. <laughs> I literally have a note. I have a note that just says lens flares. <laughs> Lots of. I don't mind it yeah. though. I mean, it's such well, a kind of sci-fi ethos. Well, and I think they had, a, I think, you know, one, it was the kind of the element to just kind of give it that. I mean, we were talking right. a minute ago about Adam Punk. I mean, Star Trek is Adam Punk on, to some level. It's from that era. And mm-hmm. I know what you're saying. It, it is. It absolutely is. That era well, runs up from Metropolis to Star Trek. The original series, the not the movies. And the... yeah. I know what you're trying to say. I got you. And, that's, and so, that's what the vision of the future looked like based on what we knew during the atomic era. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. getting these, you know, all this, you know, really shiny stuff and lights. And, and I think instead of, I think they actually, that set has a lot of lights on it. And I think <laughs> and to some extent, just using the lens flare was easier than trying to get rid of trying it. to get rid of it. Right. I did hear, I, heard, I had an interview with J.J. Abrams. He says, yeah, I got done with the movie and I was like, wow. Like when he saw it in the theater, he's like, wow, there's a lot of lens flare in there. <laughs> but it also, it, it's also there to illustrate that everything on the bridge is glossy and glass and reflective. It and, kind of gave it an epic you know, scale mm-hmm. in a very weird way. It, it gave it a very like, this it looks is, like everything's. It looks like everything's run on iPads. You know, yeah. just that visual. And Andrew's laughing at me, but he's nodding too because he knows what I'm talking no, about. No, yeah. Well, I mean, like right now, like if you were gonna assume what the future is gonna look like, it's probably gonna look a lot like Apple products. Yeah. Well, it, well, that's what's gonna happen. <laughs> Apple's gonna run. Gonna have all the technology, and Disney's gonna own all the actual intellectual properties, and that's gonna be our future. So, yes, it did, as Andrew said, it, it brought up the level of production design back on these movies. It really did. It got a certain group of people excited about Star Trek again. After Nemesis, it really did. It plummeted. Let's just tell the truth. Well, I mean, I think a big part of the reason you're getting all of this Star Trek on TV again right now is is partially due to this relaunch of the movie. It made Star Trek yeah. cool for but, young people. Yeah. It it, yeah. It, it it made young people to be like, hey, what is this? I mean, because the thing is, the original, I mean, uh, the next generation started before I was even born, or maybe the year, what year? 1984? Is that right? Seven. It started in eighty-seven. Okay, so I was born in December of eighty-six. So by the time I was watching TV, it was already reruns. I'm thirty-two years old. You know, so all of a sudden, for young people, you know, people my age and younger, Star Trek was really cool again. You know, the thing—that's the thing about fandoms—is. If you're only interested in the original fans, then eventually your franchise is going to die. You mm-hmm. have to continue to get new fans or eventually people get too old to, you know. I mean, if they yeah. had never acquired new fans after the original run of the original series, I mean, the people who are watching Star Trek when it came out are in their 80s now. And, and I, I think the trick there is that that's a high-wire act of, yes, you want to keep bringing in new fans, but at the same time, you don't want to abandon the people that got you there. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. And, right. and so, that's what I'm saying. They, they tried really hard 
to reconcile it for both, and it worked for me. But I, it just I, seems right, like and it works for me. I, it didn't. Right, and, and you know, and that's that's is what it is. I mean, it's also not a Star Trek show; it's a Star Trek movie. And I think a lot of people are trying to try have a to show com- to build on. Right. I think they try and compare it to it's not Star Trek enough. It doesn't do the things that Star Trek does. It's not about exploration. But the movies were, I mean, let's say we fought with the Klingons and then we fought with the Romulans and then we fought with the people with the stretchy faces. And then Borg. we, fought, you know, we fought with the Borg. First I mean, contact, they just walk around with freaking AR-15s the whole time, basically. <laughs> Star Trek movies have always had a lot of, of, of that element in it. And just because JJ Abrams did it so much cooler than anybody had done it before is not a knock. (laughs) I mean, it's amazing when you look at, you look at Star Trek nemesis, it was made in 2002 and you look at a movie that was made only seven years later. There is no comparison in the production. Yeah. I mean, Star Trek nemesis, there were things I, I enjoyed the movie. There are things about it. I really liked, but it is one of Got some of the ugliest stuff in any Star Trek movie ever. Well, it it also yeah. it also marked this idea of putting real money, yeah, behind it, which yep. was not happening with the last few Next Generation movies. They were getting treated somewhat like made-for-TV movies. Yeah, and so some of that is is strictly on what Paramount was willing to put behind it. Yeah. But I, I, I want to back up a little bit, though, because we, we've talked so much about what led up to this movie and the production value of it and the way they reconciled it and connected it to our original series. Let's talk about the movie itself a little bit. Okay. Uh, I actually want to talk about the plot because I do actually, I think we all did, it sounds like, enjoy the movie. We enjoy the way the actors did with the characters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a few issues plot-wise. Yeah, me too. The biggest, the biggest one being the most obvious: a cadet right out of the academy who's just fixing to flunk out of the academy does not get made captain of a starship his first day on the freaking starship. Yeah, that bothered me. How that that that's something that bothered me too from the very beginning was like trying. I had I rewinded to be like, did I miss something here? Like, wait, so right. all of these they're they're just students, right? But they're all I guess because they're the closest to. They're close to Vulcan, and they need all the help they can get. So now they're on the right. ship, but they're all high-ranking officers. With me. That part's fine with me. I'm fine. Me too. But, but when Pike leaves, all high-ranking officers. But that's the thing right, is, Pike when, was determined to put him in that captain seat from the beginning of the movie. But you don't do that to a cadet who five minutes ago was fisting to get thrown out of the academy. That, that it's, it's a little ridiculous. It's a little ridiculous. There are other officers on that ship. Okay, and, and you did have Spock, but he made Spock captain. First of well, all, that he had never happened he in the entire he history of Star Trek. He also Wait a minute. didn't make. What? He also didn't make Kirk captain. No, he made him first officer. He did not. He made him first officer. But here's here's where I'm going with this. Here's my problem. Okay, in the entire history of Star Trek, which we are led to believe is the way Starfleet works. Which up until that point in the movie, had do we have no reason to believe Star Trek in this universe works any differently, right? So, you leave the ship, Sulu, you have the bridge, Scotty, you have the con. You know, you're you're, you're they, in charge while I'm gone. No captain ever left the ship ever and used the words "you're the captain" and "you're now the first officer." I mean, I think that was. I think, uh, I think they made that. In, 
I think they made that pretty clear in the story that Pike knew he wasn't coming back. Yeah. That's what I, I understand that, but you. But don't, he said you're the captain instead of you have the con. Up, yeah, you don't set you don't set it up to where if I don't come back, he's the commander of the ship. Like, period. He's he's. I'm promoting him to captain right now. If I don't come back, like, I mean that's, that's fine. But I, that has no. And you still don't. I'm still going back to the fact that you don't take the third year cadet and make him first officer his first day on the ship. Right. Unless well, he's I James T. That because it was. Kirk. Before the movie's over, he's never served on a starship really more than two days, and he's the captain. Yeah. They give him command of his own ship. Okay, I, so that. I, well, I mean, I think at that point, there's not a lot of choice as far as to who to put in command of ships, right? right? The, there's a lot of the okay, just stop trying to justify that part of well, it. Well, I mean, does that, that not justify it to oh, some so extent? They killed off the whole fleet. The whole fleet's no, gone. It could have been done differently, though, where that part of it made more sense. Okay, so then we could have had, like, we didn't have a whole show to do exposition of how he got to be captain. I mean, did you want three movies before he's Captain Kirk? Um, I could have jumped ahead farther and actually not have him be right out of the academy i could have seen commander kirk on another ship some i mean you know what i mean you could, like or you could have done another like are you saying instead of it being three years later it'd be six years later or yeah yeah i understand you see what bothers me the most about that that i noticed is okay the cadets are now being put on the sh ships we need all hands on deck okay great why are they all on the bridge shouldn't they be like like McCoy, shouldn't McCoy like be a low-ranking? Well, I think the, I think the exception with McCoy there is McCoy's an experienced doctor when he shows up to the academy. Right, you're right. Okay, you're right. But then you have like and the chief surgeon of the Enterprise died in the first attack. Right, McCoy's okay. Okay. okay, and then they never they never showed Sulu or Chekhov at the academy, right? So we can assume that they were already like on the ship. The, right. the, this I wasn't there. Make, they make a point. They make a point of emphasizing how young Chekhov is. They make a point, but they he's seventeen. But he could have already been on the Enterprise. He could have just been in the Academy whenever he was even younger, right? Like they didn't. Show, what I'm saying is, you had so you had Kirk, McCoy, and Hora. Um, the Academy. Yeah, yeah they, they, all three of them are the fresh out of the Academy, and they're up there, and you see a Hora first on the ship not on the bridge she's down there like you know just being a soldier you have mccoy who's just an experienced artist over there kirk who isn't even supposed to be on the ship mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm justifying to myself they only end up on the bridge later because ohura knew about the transmission mccoy ends up up there because he was already an experienced doctor and the doctor died Kirk ends up first officer because Pike is obsessed with Kirk and knew his father and just believes in him and sees him. And, and, is, and like Andrew said, was trying to get him to be up there from the very beginning of the movie. I totally buy him making Spock happen. He knew he wasn't coming back. He knew what was going on. And so he said, Spock, I, I totally buy him saying, Spock, you're the captain, which I think is cool to see, by the way, because it makes it establish that Spock's been in there for longer. I thought it worked for me. I do. The only, the only problem I have is, Kirk, your first officer. Like that's the only thing that does bother me a bit. But it's something you had to get over, 
in order for the rest of everything to work. I don't know a way around it. Typically, like how that works, just as far as Navy, is that a lieutenant gets a field promotion. So yeah, it would be, I don't know that I've ever heard of anybody getting a field promotion. Oh, that'd be more cool if the Navy called it an ocean promotion. An ocean promotion. (laughs) I guess you're right. Okay, so uh, another plot hole I problem I have. So at the end, Spock is in that ship and he and he shoots at the at the drill and it breaks and then the drill's destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. Did I miss something? Are those special guns that he's using? Or why didn't just any ship that was presumably well I don't know. I mean they couldn't damage that ship. That ship was so the the yeah. Enterprise and the other ship couldn't damage it because it was more advanced. It was from the future. And yeah, Spock's so ship is also the from the future. It's really just a mining ship, but even a mining ship. Well, not the mining you know, ship. I'm talking about the, the drill ship. itself. Like the big chain thing mm-hmm. hanging. Spock it has shoots some kind of the, shield, the didn't chain. it? Right, but what I'm saying is, you know, it's Spock is also using a ship from way in the future. Okay. So, so, so I, I don't know. I mean, they don't explain it. We don't get any, like, real reason why When I works, first saw that, but, was my thought was, okay, because at that point, the drill's on Earth. Why doesn't any ship that's on Earth go and, and, and blast the drill just like Spock did? Or, you know, or like they had to send um like they had to send Sulu and Kirk down there in the first place with with rifles to well, they had detonation charges or whatever, but those detonation charges were from now. So I guess that wouldn't have worked if, if that logic is is, is followed. So they had to send them down there on like parachutes. That poor red shirt like, that went with them. Yeah, that was okay. Did anybody else just yeah. laugh that that guy was wearing a red shirt? Yeah, from the moment that he showed up and it was like, oh, we haven't seen this character yet. Oh, he's dead. And he's like, can't wait to kick some Romulan ass. It's like, oh, yeah, he's dead. <laughs> so dead. He yep. can't, let's see how he dies. Yeah, that and was. And we continue the tradition of the red shirt not surviving the landing party. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is funny. But, um, no, the the movie though, other than like I said, a couple of the things like what I mentioned with the promotions and stuff, uh, I actually do enjoy it plot wise. I do enjoy the characterizations. Carl Urban is we already talked about it, a pitch perfect Doctor McCoy. He is the best of the new cast, hands down. And no, David, Chris. Pine is not like a young William Shatner. He's a 10 times better actor than William Shatner was at his age, to tell you the <laughs> truth. Um, you really need to go back and watch more original what series. I'm saying, though. I buy that he's a younger Kirk. He's got that when same swagger and cockiness well, going we, on. Without the, 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 the very uh, last scene when he walks back on the bridge. Bones. Yeah, and it's it's all William Shatner swagger mm-hmm. when he walks back on the bridge look, there at the end. Look, one thing Shatner had in spades in the original series was confidence and swagger. And you could say what you wanted about the way he delivered these halted lines, but the man was cool. Oh yeah. Oh, I have a question. How do you guys feel about the, uh, much? Cause this is about, I was thinking like swagger and he's always, he's hitting on women, which, you know, he's a womanizer. Sure. But how do you guys feel about just the, it was mostly just in the beginning, but there was a lot just even in that first, like, 20 minutes of the movie there was a lot more sexuality than 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 usual in star trek i don't really care but i i would imagine that's probably one of the things like i'm sure there's a million things that contribute to why hardcore fans might hate this movie that's probably one of the things that bothers them is how like well having that like sexiness is almost like adding to that 
it's almost like adding to that, oh, it's just a stupid action movie, dumb action movie, sex, guns, mm-hmm. boom, boom. Well, I'm trying to, to shoot you. No, there's actually not. The original series at times was could be very sexy. For but the it was 60s, the 60s. For a 60s TV show. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah, but did they ever... No. I'm just saying, it was, it was very overtly, oh, yeah. look at Zoe Zaldala in her underwear. Look at her. It was, it was very, I, I, I noticed that, and of course, I don't care, but... Um, there were some pretty skimpy outfits in the, in the original series, and Shatner, yeah. you know, kissed a woman hard and threw her in the bed before the camera cut away more than once. So, you know... Okay, it's, that's fine. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just throwing out there. But yeah, it was definitely. Okay, I know, I know, I know. I'm just trying to tell you, it was there. So overall, all four of us, thumbs up for this one. Yep, we enjoyed. This yeah, movie. I can't wait to see more. Um, yep, putting myself in the shoes of somebody who just saw this movie and can't wait for Into Darkness. Mm-hmm. Wow, can't wait to see who Benedict Cumberbatch is. Um, JJ said he's not. He's not con. So yeah, he, he, he must not be. <laughs> It's true. Or let you be surprised. Oh, oh my God. Okay, speaking of con, I'm sorry. I know we were wrapping up. I got to mention it. They showed us the test that Kirk cheated to win mm-hmm. that they talked about in Wrath of Khan. Yeah, the Kobayashi Maru. I yeah. That was awesome. Oh, and actually, I'm glad you brought that up because actually, I don't like that. What? You don't like that they showed it? Well, I don't like I mean, it was just. I thought it was cool. Here's, like, you know, here's my thing I don't like the fact that. He made it so easy. Like, he, I don't know. I just no, feel like he Kirk would have said he did. And that I was mean, the story, it, though. Exactly, he cheated in it, essence, right? In essence, to the T, it's exactly what William Shatner's Kirk says he did. He changed the conditions of the test. I just never imagined that he made it that easy like well, here's he the thing it. here's the thing dad yeah. it's a different kirk because in this timeline kirk didn't have his dad so he grew up a, a, a crazed man who, who steals uh his stepdad's cars and drives around he there didn't was, have his dad to teach I him love, before i cannot let us close this out without telling you that one of my favorite scenes in this movie is the scene where we see kirk as a kid driving, driving that yes, yes. the okay. cliff yeah but and he stands up, chest poked out, chin held high. James Tiberius Kirk. <laughs> and you can you can just infer, you can infer the rest of that sentence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, can I help any you changes officer? that are made to this? You have to accept them because it did, remember what you said? It's genius. It did the timeline. So you because you still have that one. So so in that in, in Wrath of Khan Kirk's timeline, you can imagine that he did it exactly how it is you're thinking. But this one did it differently because it all changed. Yeah. Whenever his dad died on the Kelvin. That's true. It all, I know. all changed. That works. I know. Chris Hemsworth died on the Kelvin. My kids were like, okay. is that Thor? Is that Thor? Yeah, and then I started talking like Thor. I'm like, wow, he just uses the same. He just has Thor voice for everything. <laughs> so, next week, that's what Star Trek is in the darkness. And we'll let David be surprised at who Benedict Cumberbatch is playing. Yeah. So that the board is all the time. that is all the time we have tonight. And until next time, Marisha, where can people find you on the internet? You can find my website is princessesandpadawans.com. I am on Instagram at princesses underscore and underscore padawans, and I'm p padawans on Twitter. 
And Andrew? All right, you can find me running the Twitter account for this show at Sci underscore Fictionary. You can find us at the sciencefictionary.com, where right now you can find helpful lists that will uh, help you through our Pillars of Sci-Fi episodes, in case you want to go look up any of that stuff after listening. And you can catch me at on my Twitch channel at, at twitch.tv forward slash darklighter580. And as always, you can check out our podcast as well as all of our podcast family at red5network.com. All right, and David? You guys can find me on Twitter at stay underscore creative DD. You guys can find me on my YouTube channel at creative DD, where I do podcasts and, and tier list videos, et cetera, et cetera. All right, and I am Dan C. Peeps on Twitter, and we'll see you next time.